Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is Tracy Velt, Senior Director of Content and Data, to talk about how real estate agents are using ChatGPT and Gen Z's head start on buying homes. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Matt Dowd, Vice President of Product Management at Ice Mortgage Technology, about mortgage automation. Matt, what are the keys to success for lenders to adopt this type of automation? I wish there was one simple answer, but if I'm going to break it down, I think there's three things lenders need to be uh, aware of. Having a defined set of goals up front, having the entire company behind the initiative, as well as having change management and continuous improvement. The message has to come from the top and it has to be crystal clear about the measurements and the KPIs you're looking to improve upon. The second You have to have the entire company behind you. This is well beyond just an underwriter and a processor. You need to have good data going in to have good data coming out. And then finally, change management and continuous improvement. This isn't an easy button solution. So you need to continue to work with your processors and underwriters and figure out what's working, what's not working, and change and adapt while continuing to educate. Great points. And listeners, you can find out more at icemortgagetechnology.com. Tracy, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. I always love having you on hearing uh, the latest about real estate. Of course, you also um, are working on data things. So we have always lots to talk about. So let's talk about AI and chat GPT. It seems like it just keeps getting um, more and more news, but also people really using it more. I was at a title function last week with about 20, 30 title agents, um, well, title executives. And we asked how many of you are using it. About half the room uh, raised their hands. So I think there is a lot of adoption of chat GPT, but then you have a lot of people who are also wondering how are other people using it better than I'm using it. And when it comes to real estate, I think there are quite a few applications. Yeah, it's it's an interesting topic because, of course, it's not without controversy over using it as well. Um, accuracy, you know, the it's it's all about the data that you put into it as well, and the data that is into it is a couple years old. Um, so I think they it's up until I want to say 2018. So, like any type of super current uh, information that you're trying to get. You definitely need to fact check that information. But what I'm seeing, the biggest applications that I'm seeing in real estate right now are marketing, um, writing, you know, getting some help writing property descriptions or marketing copy for, um, you know, a brochure or a social media post or something like that. Um, and then also scheduling. There are quite a few AI schedulers that, that you can use that will learn your schedule over time and adjust to that so that if you, for example, you do um, prospecting for two hours every morning and you go through 10 people, it'll start recommending the next 10 people to um, prospect or to call. And so that application is really interesting, too. There are different schedulers. Um, The one thing that I will say is that um, I know that there's been a lot of um, a lot of coaches in that who have warned against um, doing anything to do with legal work on there, any type of um, legal descriptions or or um, 
contracts or wording or anything like that, you have to be very careful. And also you have to review your content for fair housing um, applications as well, because it does not always see what might be a fair housing violation in a property description, such as perfect property for a family with kids um, or, you know, something like that. So there, you know, it's, it's great. It's definitely helps you become efficient, but there are um, lots of checks and balances that have to go along with it as well. I think that's a great point. Um, you know, property descriptions seem like the kind of thing that would be easy to outsource to AI because it's like, well, they're already out there. So like one of, one of our things, so, so we're looking at using AI and writing up press releases and things like that, but in a very strict and transparent way, because, you know, from our perspective, we don't want to be like um, taking proprietary data. We don't want to be um, plagiarizing something that's already out there on the internet. Well, when you think about a property description, you're like, pretty much, I mean, it, it's not like uh, you're, you know, you're rewriting the the dictionary there. I mean, you know, starting from scratch, you're usually looking at, you kind of had a formula anyway, but depending on what you feed it, it, it could come up with something that you're like, oh, that is a huge no-no, you know? So I, I do think what we see is that there is, you know, there is the generation of that and then there's the editing of that or the overview of that um, or the supervising of it. Now it might still save you a bunch of time, right? <clears throat> but it's not like there, it's a plug and play and you don't ever have to look at it. You'd probably get into some trouble there. Yeah. You know, there's a, another interesting way to do it and to use it um, in a, in a, I don't want to say safer way, but a productive way that might need a little less of a checks and balances are to prepare a marketing plan. Um, so you can ask it to prepare a marketing plan for a property. You can ask it to help you with your yearly marketing plan or to, um, you know, put together an outline of, you know, 10 different promotions you can do as a real estate agent. Um, it could also help you outline certain articles. Let's say you want to, st you know, you write for, you have a blog that you write for. You can ask it to outline your idea, but then you write the actual post yourself based on that outline. Um, so there are other applications that can save you a lot of time because writing is a lot of organization as much as it is, um, you know, creative, creativeness. So if you have the organization, it makes it a lot easier and quicker for you to actually write that. But really doing a marketing plan, um, it's a great resource for outlining month by month or week by week even. Well, and one of the contributor uh, posts that we had on Real Trends was talking about how a lot of people were using it for social management, which makes a lot of sense. So like you can say, you know, um, create a calendar for me, like create a, a content calendar for social, and then you can go, okay, well, uh, write all those posts for me after you've given it some more information or, you know, write the script for that video that I want to do. So again, you have to oversee it, but starting from there versus starting from scratch, totally different. I mean, I think that could be a game changer for people. Absolutely. And I think the scheduling can too, because as these companies um, like Resora and others build the um, chat GPT or open AI application into their applications. Um, the, the idea that writing a social post or, um, you know, really just doing a, a plan, a marketing plan, or even um, a scheduling as far as taking your CRM and 
you know, with reminders saying, hey, today's the day to call so-and-so and here's what you need to know about this person. And as you, the more you use it, the more it learns how you're using it and can make better recommendations um, that will help your business become more efficient as well. I like it. Um, one of the things that uh, I saw um, in that contributor post was like, you know, after you look at it, you can be like, okay, be more funny, like, like include more humor or include these yeah. facts about me that are uh, more personal. So you can get more personalization in there for different audiences. Um, you know, just stuff like that. Like some people are very good at that. Some people that is just like the last thing they have time for, or even the bandwidth for. So if it came up, they would, you know, it's automating the parts of this process that are for some people very mundane and tedious, and maybe they never get around to doing it. Yeah. And I, I do know an agent who will use it and say, you know, like, um, she will write a, I don't know, like a, a maybe as a property description. But what she does is she uses the make make this better. So she might do the initial writing and then ask it to make it better, and it will restructure what she's done into a. Um, I guess I, I I've never tried it, so I don't know for sure. But I guess it, it restructures it into a more interesting or organized fashion. Um, so there are there are other applications too to like do a checks and balance on your on what you're already writing too to make it better. I like that. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned legal, but I know because I follow a bunch of people on Twitter who uh, even some of them are, who are attorneys who are like, listen, this is a game changer. If you um, you know if you feed it the law and then you feed it, you know, if you're like write something on this, but make sure you don't go here. I mean, it, it's processing that much faster than. Uh, a person could obviously if if you're um paying an expert attorney they should know that very quickly but i do think there are things i think we're going to see a lot more in the future um that right now we're probably like uh skittish to do that we may not be as it as it gets better too well right and like uh, you know sometimes it's all about what you're asking it to do i guess and how you're asking it to do it um if you're asking it to pull legal information from again this is it's still dated. So if anything has changed in the law since they updated this program, you can't use it. But if you're asking it to pull only resources from, you know, whatever it is, um, then, and you know, that resource is a, uh, you know, a trusted resource, then you're, you should be fine pulling that data. It's just about making sure like to go through it and check it. Um, but no, I think it will be a game changer. And I think it's really about a, what information is, is, um, input into the system that you can pull from and B, how you're asking and what questions you're asking it, um, to make sure that you're getting the accurate information that you, that you want. I agree. And I checked in it's a uh, 2021 data. So uh, oh, it's, it's 2021. Limited, okay. Yeah, it's limited up to 2021. Yep. Um, I also okay. think that um, a lot of people are using it for email, which I think is yes. interesting. Like you can be like, mm -hmm. you know, send this email and, and, and once it has a template or once you've talked to a, it about that, I mean, I feel like that is huge for real estate agents potentially, right? Like helping them automate some things that just does nothing but take their time. Yeah. And it seems like you could probably build a template. You can ask it to write a, a like a, a letter and then, from there, you could either personalize it yourself, or then you could also maybe ask it to personalize the letter next time for 
you know, a certain scenario, have a template that you're using and you don't have to recreate it every time, but you're updating it and personalizing it um, yourself too. So it doesn't sound like it's uh, a template, templated email. I think it's interesting. We're seeing the idea of uh, offshoring, outsourcing more and more. So there are people who are using virtual assistants who maybe are, are, um, you know, they're located in other countries. They have a very uh, low overhead. You know, it, it doesn't cost much to hire them. Meanwhile, they can be very productive and efficient and knowledgeable. Of course, just like anybody, you have to you have to uh, vet who you're hiring. But, you know, we see that. We see this. And you just think um, it's going to be interesting going forward. How many of the things that we currently consider, like, this is part of my job, whether that's a real estate agent, a broker leader, a team leader, um, how much of that you know, two years from now, we're going to look back and be like, wow, can you imagine we did all that? (laughs) We didn't outsource that? (laughs) Yes. But I should also say that I know a concern of agents is that uh, it would disintermediate them like many technologies that they've worried about in the past. And all I have to say about that is I don't see how that could possibly happen. Um, Real estate is local, it's personal, it's relationships. It's um, expertise that, you know, it's necessary to use um, a real estate agent. And study after study has shown this has been the talk of real estate for for years now. Um, They're going to go the way of the travel agents. It's going to be, you know, they're not going to need us anymore. And the truth is our uh, Realtrends did a consumer study. This one was in 2018, so it was a while ago. But um, it was actually a higher percentage of the people um, surveyed use a real estate agent than even the one we did in 20, I think it was 2015. So as the years have gone by, we've noticed a trend where more and more people are using and want to use and believe in the power of using a real estate agent um, to transact as well. So I really feel like that's at the heart of this. Like, to me, it's the mundane things. It's the things that are, you know, this is not why you go into real estate. I don't go into real estate to be like, I just can't wait to write a bunch of emails or wow, I can't right. wait to, you know, set up my content calendar, generally speaking. Right. And so yeah. it, it lets you be, um, hopefully lets them be, you know, doing the things that they're passionate about that they got into it and where the real value for them lies. We've seen this mm-hmm. all over the mortgage industry. When you think about, you know, automated underwriting, automated, um, all, all sorts of things that uh, collecting people's information and doing, you know, the, um, confirming their, their identity and employment, things like that. It's like, that's not why, I mean, does anyone wake up and be like, I just can't wait to go and make sure everybody, you know, check the IRS for their W2. I mean, I just think that, you know, in the end we get to the expertise that people are really valuable at. Absolutely. And every coach I've ever heard has discussed how, if you want to be more productive as an agent, you need to pass along those things and work on the things that make you money, which is relationships, prospecting, um, and, and that. So um, it, it's all part of just making your business more efficient. I love that. Well, let's um, let's change topics a little bit here and talk about the fact that 
Um, we have a new study, I think Redfin put out a report that looked at um, Gen Z as home buyers. It's been really interesting to see and looking at, you know, like at different milestone, age milestones, how does Gen Z compare to millennials? How do they compare to Gen X and baby boomers? Actually, I don't know if Gen X was even, I'm a Gen Xer and I'm just, I'm telling you, we are left out of everything. We're never, I am too. We're never <laughs> in it. It was actually in this study. Oh, it was. Um, okay, good. So, um, yes. but I do think it's, it's funny. And I think interestingly enough, they see that Gen Z has some real, uh, a leg up maybe on millennials at the same age. Tell, tell us a little bit about that study. Yeah. So, um, Gen Z is ages 19 to 25, um, in 2022. So those were the ages that they considered Gen Z for this, um, for this study. And so they, they collected this um, based on home purchase data by age group collected by the Home Mortgage Disclosure Act, or HUMDA. And it was really interesting that I think they said um, 30% of 25-year-olds owned their own home. And that is higher than the 27% rate for us Gen Xers <laughs> um, when we were 25, <laughs> Um, but it's also baby boomers were at 32% when they were 25 years old. So they haven't quite hit the baby boomer status for homeownership at this point. Um, it, but they were a big part, according to the study of like the pandemic driven, um, you know, feeding frenzy and housing. So that, I thought that was really interesting. I think, you know, um, that's what it was. It didn't have millennials listed at 25. It did have millennials at 30 and 40, I think on this study. And one of the things that you just think about just from a, like, um, you know, psychological standpoint is a lot of millennials, they graduated into a recession and they saw their parents really struggle through the great financial crisis, through the foreclosure crisis, you know, home ownership. And one of the things that we saw with millennials early on is there had to be a lot of education about why they should want to be a homeowner because some of them had really bad experiences in their family. Contrast that to maybe Gen Z who saw people making hand over fist by buying, you know, a, in a, in a really low mortgage rate environment. And I think that's just a, a really different experience. Plus, you know, I mean, they, they don't have some of the same financial challenges. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, so, you know, according to the study, it says millennials have been financially unlucky. Um, they've been their parents had a much more straightforward financial journey. So, you know, they entered the workforce during the 2001 recession and then came the 2008 financial crisis. Um, it, you know, limited their earnings, their overall wealth, and their ability to buy a home. Um, but Gen Zers really had the advantage of rising income and record low mortgage rates. Um, so for them, it was just a better situation in order to, to buy a home. Um, and so it, it's really interesting with the home prices the way they are, you know, what's going to happen moving forward, which, um, you know, will this generation still have, um, the, the wealth to, to continue to buy homes um, or has it slowed down at all at this point? Um, they just looked at 2022. So there's really um, no telling what the future holds as far as that is concerned. Although you might know because you talk to Logan all the time. So I, I do talk to Logan all the time. And we were just talking about how big this uh, cohort is. It's, it is large. It's not as big as the millennials, but just barely. And um, 
it's coming up. And to your point, I mean, they're looking at 19 to 25 year olds as people who could maybe do a house, but I mean, there's, there's, we have tons of more coming after them um, who will be driving this. I also think about if you look at the last couple of years, I mean, you've had student loan forgiveness or like, you know, you could, you could, there's forgiveness, but there's also just like people, all of that was paused for a couple of years. So, um, and then, you know, the study notes that people moved back in with their parents. So they moved back in with their parents. They might've been working remote. They didn't have to pay their student loans for a couple of years and mortgage rates were low. So kind of a trifecta them for, for them there, uh, that, you know, the millennials have got to be going, dang, you know, <laughs> we did not have that. Hopefully millennials also took advantage of that, but you know, they might have two kids, don't want to move in with their parents, whatever. So, um, I do think it's a really different generational shift, but at least with, Gen Z, we're not like, are they going to buy homes? Are, you know, do they think home ownership is important? I remember all of the angst about millennials, like, oh, they're just so different from other generations. And it turned out they weren't. They just no. it took longer to get there because of all the financial pressures they had. Yes, definitely. And, um, you know, I, I just love this, the generational, you know, information, especially because of being Gen X, like we just don't have much of it about us. Um, <laughs> and we're the greatest generation. So I'm not sure why Thank not. you, Tracy. Thank you for sticking up for us right there. I appreciate that. I know that, I don't know if you know or not, but Logan called me a boomer on one of our uh, recent oh. podcasts. And I was like, you could not have, what? You did what? You said what? Anyway, love a lot of boomers. Uh, just saying, I, I was like, I'm Gen X, sir. Um, but yeah, that's so funny. I'm proud well, of it. And proud of it. That's right. Um, so let's talk a little bit now about GOE. We have um, Gathering yeah. of Eagles is coming up again. This is a um, this is an amazing event that's gone on for like three decades. It is mm-hmm. so much fun. It's coming up quicker than I can even imagine. June 18th through the 21st in Austin. What are some of the panels that you're most excited about? So we, you know, the overarching theme really is about um, growth and profitability and over, you know, kind of the the threats and opportunities in the industry moving forward. And there's a, there's a lot going on right now um, in real estate with the the class action commission lawsuits and um, you know, kind of the threat to the way business is done. But more than that, we've got margin compression. Um, you know, there there are um, so every panel, every speaker that we have is geared toward offering actionable insights in building your business or um, you know continuing your business smart in a smart way, in a profitable way, in the best way that you can. So we've got a panel on um, a fresh look at operating costs. So we're talking to three different CFOs about what they're, you know, what they're looking at right now, how they're, um, how they're managing their operating costs. Are they, you know, reducing their office space? Um, are they expanding their office space? What is their, what is their view on the, the industry moving forward? Where are they seeing um, smart growth or a smart use of their money? And then we've got Katie Johnson. Actually, I just talked to her today. Um, she is the chief counsel at NAR, and she's going to be talking all about where we are right now with the commission lawsuits, um, what they're all about for people who might want more information. She's also going to talk about some things that you can do um, in your brokerage moving forward, um, like as far as like implementing buyer representation agreements and um, and some of the the 
kind of the language, the value proposition and that moving forward. So she's going to do a really deep dive into what brokers should be doing to minimize their risk and to maximize um, their business moving forward. We've got a couple of growth panels. So we've got one that is all about um, diversifying your income in different um, opportunities other than mortgage and title and insurance. Um, and then we have CoreLogic is uh, working with us on a panel um, on growing through data. And so we're, we've got a couple of different data-driven panels or speakers who are really going to talk about the power of data. Mike Simonson from Altos Research is going to do one as well. Logan um, Matashami is going to really get into the economic um, housing, the housing market in the economics um, of the country right now. So we've got a lot of really um, great content based on data and uh, using data um, Josh Harley from Fathom Real Estate has built a huge um, data company, LiveBy, and he's going to be on the CoreLogic panel discussing how he's using that in his um, business to grow. So how is he how is he using that um, with consumers and how are agents using that data? So we've got some really interesting um, speakers and panels that I am super excited to to hear. I love it. And I feel like, you know, with, with everything we're doing this year with events, we've really honed in on what is the information you need to take away so that you can immediately apply it to your business and, and do better. We know that people aren't going to events just to, you know, um, oh, I hope there's some good content. It's like, I'm going to an event so that when I come back, my business will be better. Otherwise, it's not in the ROI this year to go to an event. So we have really honed in on that. I feel like our events are, are pretty practical anyway, but this year, even more so than normal. Yeah, I mean, I really did, um, you know, all the speakers that we've chosen, you know, peer to peer uh, information and advice is the most powerful because you've got you've got people who are really doing a good job with it or doing well or have learned some valuable lessons over the years through um, through their growth, through mistakes that they've made, through, um, you know, experiences that they have that are, they're vul- they're willing to be vulnerable and share that. Um, because that's what the Gathering of Eagles is really all about. It's all about um, knowing that you can share this information in a safe environment with um, with other peers and share among different um, networks and franchises and companies and really a collaborative idea sharing environment um, for them. And, and we're really proud of that. Um, we've worked really hard to do that over the years and to really pick the best speakers who can who can hone in on the most actionable part of um, what a broker needs moving forward. Super valuable in this environment to be able to hear from people who have some of the things figured out. Maybe you have things they haven't figured out, but they have figured out things you haven't figured out and getting, you know, to connect with them, hearing from the stage, but also connecting on just a peer-to-peer basis, which uh, is a lot of the things that you've done to make sure that there's a lot of connection time or, um, you know, networking time, but even more than networking, like we see it as like an engagement thing. We really, we really are intentional about getting people together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't want to forget about our dealmakers day on Sunday because that day um, will give brokers everything they need to know about the current M&A landscape, what's going on, what um, what makes their brokerage valuable and how to improve the value of their brokerage, how to structure 
um, M&A deals and also how to structure affiliated service partnerships and deals as well. So really great business advice from true experts and people who are who are currently doing that, um, growing, growing your um, footprint organically or through M&A um, locally. And that's a big one right now that there are a lot of a lot of companies are looking at opportunities to expand their growth locally into new areas. And there'll be a whole panel on that as well. Well, we know a lot of M&A comes out of Gathering of Eagles. I mean, you're in the room with people who are thinking about M&A. They're there for a reason. So it's a great place to be if you have any interest in that as well. Absolutely. Well, Tracy, thanks so much for joining me. Always fun to talk about what's happening in the different parts of uh, the real estate world that you are covering and that you are uh, got your finger on the pulse on. So thank you so much. All right. Thank you. We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack, and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax, and Home Services and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.